The word of our Lord from the Gospel of Luke. Now Elizabeth's full time came for her to be delivered, and she brought forth a son. When her neighbors and relatives heard how the Lord had shown great mercy to her, they rejoiced with her. And so it was on the eighth day that they came to circumcise the child. And they would have called him by the name of his father, Zacharias. His mother answered, however, and said, No, he shall be called John. But the people said to her, There is no one among your relatives who is called by this name. And so they made signs to his father what he would have him to be named. He asked for a writing tablet and wrote, saying, His name is John. And so they all marveled. Immediately, his mouth was opened and his tongue loosened. He spoke and praised God. And then fear came on all who dwelt around them. And all these sayings were discussed throughout the hill country of Judea. And all those who heard them kept them in their hearts, saying, What kind of child will this be? And the hand of the Lord was with him. Now John's father, Zacharias, was filled with the Holy Spirit and prophesied, saying, Blessed is the Lord God of Israel, for he has visited and redeemed his people. He has raised up a horn of salvation for us in this house of his servant David, as he spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets, who have been since the world began, that we should be saved from our enemies and from the hand of all those who hate us, to perform the mercy promised to our fathers and to remember his holy covenant, the oath which he swore to our father Abraham, to grant to us that we, being delivered from the hand of our enemies, might serve him with fear and holiness and righteousness before him all the days of our life. And you, O child, will be called the prophet of the highest, for you will go before the face of the Lord to prepare his ways, to give knowledge of salvation to his people by the remission of their sins, through the tender mercy of our God, with which the day spring from on high has visited us, to give light to those who sit in darkness and the shadow of death, to guide our feet into the way of peace. And so the child John grew and became strong in spirit and was in the deserts till the day of his manifestation to Israel. Let's pray. Purify our conscience, Almighty God, by your daily visitation, that your Son, Jesus Christ, at his coming, may find in us a mansion prepared for himself, who lives and reigns with you in the unity of the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen. This morning, Doug and Terry lit for us the candle of incarnation. Incarnation is one of those terms that is uh, rarely used by most people. Um, When I think incarnation, I immediately think of uh, carnation instant breakfast because, Bill, my mind normally goes toward food, even weird foods. But incarnation, a word that is rarely used by most of us, a word that perhaps you might hear in uh, lecture halls, uh, perhaps you might hear it uh, uh, in theology classes and whatnot, or perhaps you 
some of you, I know Tom has some books on his shelf that use the term incarnation, but it is a rare term. It's an odd term. It's, it's an unusual term. It's not a very commonly used term. It is a theological term. And most folks are turned off, quite frankly, by theology. Uh, don't give me that. Just give me Jesus. But, okay, what Jesus are we talking about? What do we mean by this highly technical term? Incarnation is a word that literally means enfleshment. When we speak of the incarnation of Jesus, we're talking about His becoming human flesh. The incarnation, the enfleshment, is about the eternal Son of God who became a human being. Think of that for a moment. The eternal one became finite. The creator of all things, of heaven and earth, the sea and all that is within them, the psalmist said, that creator became a part of his creation. (coughs) The immaterial one, the one who is invisible. Paul, the apostle said, he is the image, the visible image image of the invisible God. The firstborn over all creation. The eternal Son of God became a human being, a real, live, living, breathing, eating, sleeping, perhaps snoring human being. It ought to sound a bit crazy to us. It ought to sound as crazy as the virgin birth. These sorts of things don't just happen. And that's the reason for the Gospels. This sort of thing doesn't just happen. It gets remembered. It gets noticed. It gets shared. That's Luke's whole purpose of writing. Oh, dear Theophilus, you already know this stuff, but I wanted to put it, put pen to paper and lay out for you an orderly account, having interviewed countless eyewitnesses. Having spoken to the people myself, I want to lay out for you what the gospel is all about. And it starts with a man named John. The incarnation is what Christmas is all about. Without the incarnation, without the enfleshment of the eternal Son of God, there is no Christmas. Imagine what life would be like for you without Christmas. Imagine your childhood without Christmas. Most of our memories, most of my memories growing up are related to special times, special seasons, especially Christmas. I remember digging through my parents' closet. I hope they're not listening. Um, I remember digging through my parents' closet, and I don't even think I was looking for gifts. I was not a man on a mission. I was looking for something else, and lo and behold, I see a bike tire. And I thought, "Uh uh-oh. And so, of course, I then pulled back a little bit and noticed I got the bike that I'd been asking for. It's a, a very vivid memory in my mind. Without the incarnation of Jesus, however... We have no Christmas. There is no such thing as Christmas. The eternal Son becoming a human being 
being born of the Virgin Mary is what this whole celebration is all about. And the interesting thing is that God always reaches the world through tangible means. He always reaches His world through tangible means. And that ought not surprise us. After all, the world that He created is tangible. It is flesh and bones. It is, it is blood, sweat, tears. It is matter. And so matter does matter. God always reaches the world through matter, through tangible means. In the beginning of Eden, we remember that Yahweh came and was walking through the garden with Adam and Eve, reaching them through tangible means, making Himself real to them, making Himself physically present to them, manageable, touchable. In calling Abram, we now call him Abraham, but originally when he was called, his name was Abram. And God called him, spoke to him, gave him promises, pointed his eyes to the stars in the sky, said, look at him, count him if you think you can. Look at the sand underneath your feet, the sand that gets caught in your sandals as you walk along and has toughened up your feet. Your descendants will be as numerous as the stars and as numerous as the grain of sand. God always comes to His people. He always reaches out to His world through tangible means. In establishing Israel as a people. In raising up Moses as a prophet to go and to speak to Pharaoh. Let my people go. God uses tangible means. He established a kingdom. Set up a king. That's what Christmas is all about. It is about God making Himself tangible to us to reach the world. In Jesus, God the Father is reaching out to His world through tangible means. The Christ, His incarnate Son, Israel's Messiah, the world's Redeemer, the tangible one, the one who hang the sun and the moon, rests under them and cries out in the night because he has become a part of his creation. John the Baptist reminds us of these tangible means. He reminds us of how God reaches the world. Here we, we read that when he's born, the town begins talking about God's faithfulness, about how, what God has done. And on the eighth day, they come to do what? They come to circumcise the child. Another reminder of tangible means. In doing so, they, they are presenting Him to God, dedicating Him to God, saying, this is a gift that we have received from your hands, and He is yours use his life and so they've got to name him who we're going to refer to him as we can't just keep calling him him we definitely don't want to call the baby it all right we'll name him Zacharias and Elizabeth stops them and says no 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 his name's not going to be Zacharias it's going to be John <coughs> Zacharias is an interesting name it means the Lord remembers which is a good name Good name. Where we get the term Zach. And when I thought of Zach, I, of course, my mind went to Saved by the Bell, just product of that generation. 
But Elizabeth says, no, 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 no. His name is going to be John. And the, 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 the people that have gathered, the, the, the relatives, the, the neighbors, the priests, they're thinking, wait a minute, you don't have anybody in your family named John. Where's that coming from? Okay, let's, let's, let's do what we know we ought to do. Let's ask the dad, see what he wants, right? Sorry, ladies, just joking. What are we going to name him? John calls for a writing tablet and he writes, his name is John, just very simple. And in that moment, at his faithfulness, at, at his obedience to the angel Gabriel's declaration and instruction, in that moment of obedience, his tongue is reloosened. He's able to speak again. And he marvels and the town marvels and he praises God. John, the Lord remembers his a fantastic name. Zacharias, good name. John, the Lord is gracious. If you'll remember from several, several weeks ago, I mentioned that grace is about God reaching out. It is God extending Himself, extending His life, extending His power toward us. It's not just a feeling that God has in Himself. It is about God reaching out to us. What a fitting name for the forerunner of Jesus. It's interesting that when Gabriel told John, hey, this is a surprise to you. You guys are awfully aged, but your wife is going to conceive and you're going to have a child. The angel Gabriel says, and you're going to name him John. I wonder if if Zacharias thought, come on, really, man? He can't be named after me? But Gabriel instructed Zacharias to name the forerunner of the Messiah, the prophet of the Lord. John, the Lord is gracious. If the incarnation is the means that God uses to save the world, to reach the world, to rescue the world, then the gospel must be shared in like manner. It must be shared incarnationally. And so how do we live incarnationally? This sort of question is, is what we really want to have answered before we leave. Before we leave on Sunday mornings, we want to know, okay, so now what? How do I live accordingly? What do I do? Well, you do what the eternal Son of God did. John said, another John, the beloved, said the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. He incarnated and dwelt among us. I love that phrase, dwelt among us. It literally means he tabernacled. He set up camp in our midst. He built a home in our neighborhood. He found our camp spot and brought his own tent to set up. So if God is about reaching the world through incarnation... You and I are to be incarnational type people. And so how do we do that? How do we live incarnationally? I want to offer to you three things. That One specifically about this week and then a couple of others beyond this week. Hopefully total life. First, spend time with those closest to you this week. For most of us, this will be family. Spouses, children, parents, siblings. 
Spend time with those closest to you. You can't live incarnationally if you're not present. And you can't be present without some passage of time in proximity to others taking place. You getting what I'm saying? We've got to spend time with people if we are to live incarnationally before them. And those closest to us is a good place to start. This week, it's busy. We've got last-minute gifts to be gotten. We've got things that are happening. Lindsay's going to be baking cookies for some of the neighbors in the neighborhood. There's a lot of things to be done, but find time. Carve out time this week to spend time with those closest to you. The second thing I want to encourage you to do is spend time with someone who needs Jesus. Hopefully you'll do that beyond this week. You may say, look, Pastor, I've got too much happening this week. I can do that next week. Okay, go ahead and put it on your calendar. Go ahead and write yourself a note. Put a reminder on your phone. Spend time with someone who needs Jesus. You know who they are. It's not passing judgment to say, you know what? Even I'm not saying the guy's not a Christian. I'm saying the guy, the guy needs someone. He needs He needs someone to be a a positive influence on his life. And I love Jesus and I care about him. And therefore, I ought to be spending time with him. The fact is that those who need Jesus, and we all need Jesus. I need Jesus. You need Jesus. The fact is, they will never find Jesus apart from those who love him and who also love them who care enough to say, I'm going to make time. We will never reach the world unless we are actually reaching out to the world. That's what Christmas ought to remind us of. God does not reach the world by decreeing something from heaven. God rolls up His sleeves and steps out of heaven and comes and becomes flesh and tabernacles among us. He builds a home where we live to rescue us. The third thing I want to encourage you to do is spend time with Jesus' people. One another. Obviously stick around for fellowship this morning. Don't just dart off unless you're going to get pizzas, Bill. But stick around for fellowship. Spend time together. Show up for Christmas Eve service. David mentioned it. It'll be a brief service, but it's going to start with a great time of fellowship with warm coffee and perked punch and cookies. I heard there are going to be cookies. But great conversation, a, a nice, intimate, candle lighting service. We will break bread together and share in communion. We'll light candles together. Spend time with Jesus' people. You want to grow closer to Christ? You want to be a greater influence for Him on the world? It has to start with being among God's people, one another. I guarantee you this. You will not regret it. You won't regret it. You simply won't. I guarantee it. I promise you you won't regret it. And I'll promise you this. If you do think you regret it, let me know. I'll buy you a cup of coffee and we can talk about it. 
spend time with Jesus' people, with one another. And you've got an excellent short opportunity this morning and a great opportunity this coming Saturday and going forward. I ran across a quote this week from Eugene Peterson, pastor and author. He said, We cannot use impersonal means to do or say a personal thing. And the gospel is personal or it is nothing. We cannot use impersonal means to do or say a personal thing. The gospel is personal or it is nothing. We have to be present to God for he is present to us. We have to be present to one another. We have to be present, fathers, mothers, kids, to our families. We have to be present to those who need the good news that a Savior has been born. And the fact is, as the gospel told us about the birth of John and about all that happened with Zacharias and Miracle, the fact is, when we obey and we, when we get our lives in order, when we become present to the one who is present to us, and we become present to his people and to the world, the fact is the word will get out. People will begin talking. I've been around some crazy people and they love Jesus and they're awesome to be around. But we have to live incarnationally. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your presence here with us this morning. We thank you for your great love for us. And we pray that you would help us to respond in love for you. Help us to be present to one another. Help us to be present to our families. Help us to be present to our community. And Lord, help us to rejoice in the one who became present to redeem us. May we give ourselves completely to him and may we live as he did. In his name we pray. Amen.